Welcome back here to the Two Pointers Podcast. Actually, this is called Draft Chat. We're here to talk uh, a little bit of NBA draft as we're going to preview it over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I am looking forward to doing this with Josh and future guests. Um, but first, we just want to say welcome. Welcome to Draft Chat. We are here just to go over what our thoughts on some guys. The NCAA tournament just concluded, like we talked about last week. We're going to just go over guys we like, guys we don't, some cool reactionary games. Uh, but first, obviously, Josh, uh, how are you feeling about talking about the draft here for the next two months before we introduce our first guest? Uh, it's always that period of time where it's. I feel like I can get a good feel of the prospects um, now since uh, college basketball has officially come to a close. But it's hard for me to like start making predictions until we get the draft lottery done. So I think I'm kind of in a – in a weird spot, but I'm excited kind of to look at the players. Um, the NCAA tournament was very fun. I don't know if it was the most fun for um, some of the biggest prospects, like uh, especially the ones at the very top went out a little bit earlier than probably would have been expected. But yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Can't wait to chat all about it here uh, with our first guest that we're bringing on, uh, Mr. Stephen Gillespie, just like Colin, he told me to say it. Um, but we are here to talk a couple things. Uh, we're going to go over draft stock rising and falling really quick from his perspective. Uh, he'll give a reaction to our draft boards. If you guys haven't checked those out, um, they're our official first run of them. We will update them here in the next week or so, maybe if anything changed opinion wise, it didn't really for me. I don't know about Josh, but we'll kind of, you'll see the date update. You'll see a tweet about those. We'll play a little game of higher or lower. We'll explain that in a little bit as well as. Steven's thing he likes to do is sleeper prospects, and I'm fully prepared to have to be frantically Googling, but um, we're going to talk about that at the tail end. So we'll start with draft stock rise and fall, um, but before we do any of that, introduce yourself, tell us about where you're from. That's what we always ask our listeners uh, to be able to hear. Yeah, well, first off, you know, Trevor and Joshua, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. It was a huge honor. Anyone that wants to entertain my mind for basketball and draft prospects, uh, you know, I always kind of feel like bless your heart, you know, I hope you know what you're getting into, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a big honor for me. And if you probably couldn't tell from my accent and the bless your heart, I'm from the South. I'm from Arkansas originally um, in the oh, Navy yes. right now. Uh, I'm in the Navy right now and I contribute to a collective referred to as no ceilings. It's a pretty new, but making a lot of waves in the draft community. So I'm pretty proud to be a part of that group. And I also co-host a podcast called draft deeper with good buddy of mine, Nathan Grubel, where just like the name implies, we get in pretty deep into a prospect evaluation. So, uh, you know, always down to talk NBA draft and the NBA at large. But, you know, I'm happy to be here, guys. And thank you guys so much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and roll right into sleep. Uh, not sleepers. Jeez, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> whose draft stock rose and fell the most? You can go over a couple. Any ones that you took away from the end of this tournament where you were like, man, that guy is a lot higher on my board now? Or maybe he's a little bit lower. Yeah, so I have a few. Um, I'll start with some kind of lower-end guys. Uh, Brady Manick was a guy that I was generally not entertaining at all with uh, any sort of draft prospect, but I think that he might have played his way into some second-round consideration. I'm not going to get crazy. I do get a little tongue-in-cheek with my no-ceilings guys and say, oh, Brady Manick, you know, first-round prospect, things like that. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think that he's that good. But I do think, in all honesty, you know, being serious here, I do think that a team in the second round, maybe mid to late, might entertain bringing in a guy who's about 6'8", six, 6'9", six, who can give you a little bit of versatility at the forward spot um, with the spot-up shooter, knockdown guy. He showed a little bit of defensive playmaking chops as well in the in the tournament, so that was cool. We can't talk UNC without also mentioning Caleb Love, who's a guy I've had kind of in and out of my second round. I am kind of starting to feel like he's a, a, a firm second-round guy. 
And then just one of the top end guys that I think like really cemented where he should be selected in the draft would be Paulo Boncaro out of Duke. Obviously, uh, consensus top three guy. I've had him as low as number four on my board at different times throughout the season. But one being the one of the last guys out of that top tier standing uh, really means a lot. And the fact that he did improve his playmaking, his defense, and that three-point shot looked really good throughout the tournament too. So a lot of the concerns that folks like myself had about him felt like he answered later on in the season, and I think that that helped him out a lot. Josh, I think he did his research. And Did, did you realize we're from North Carolina when you said I that? I did not know that. No, not at <laughs> yeah. all. I've just, all right. I call it like I see it. So I love it. Uh, he got off on a good foot with me because I'm a – diehard carolina fans you so. guys heard it here first i'm invited back for another show just because of this uh, oh yeah 100 um yeah uh, our listeners are gonna chuckle because we're gonna they're gonna think we planned that i would promise <laughs> to be clear josh i promise fan, no but that worked out great brings out brady <laughs> first line that's funny uh, i love one brady i really Manic. agree with as much as it pains me because i'm not a fan of duke but paolo impressed me a lot more than I had seen in the late regular season for him. Definitely his ability kind of just take over a little bit because as he didn't always in the late regular season, look like the best player Duke had. Uh, and I thought that in the tournament, he really took over and led the team uh, when they needed it and showed, like you said, a lot of that playmaking ability uh, that I was starting to doubt whether or not he had. Um, and that has definitely made him like rise on my board for where I see. I think he's definitely a top three guy. I wouldn't put him above Chet Holmgren, but uh, <laughs> I think right after that, where I'd see him right now. Yeah, I'm excited that y'all both touched on the playmaking because I told Josh a few months ago that was something like coming into the season that I, I was excited to see him bring the ball up more or at least in transition, him take the ball up a little bit further instead of having to rely on a guard like Trevor or something. But I, I'm excited that he got to like – he waited. He did it. He did it some. We saw it, and then he's like, "Cool, I'm gonna do it in the tournament. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show mm-hmm. you guys. Hey, this is where it proving ground is, right? Cool. Um, let's touch on any more guys that are higher. Any, any like weird ones? I know you threw out Brady Manning first, but like, <laughs> ooh. Um, let's see if I got some weirdos on my board here that I can throw at you guys. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I'm a deep dive kind of guy. Y'all know that. I, I kind of warned you about that coming in. Um. I figured I don't we'd know stay on I... the high note while we could. If you before you start breaking people down, I figured I figured we'd stay on the high yeah. note as long as we could. But how about um how about Daylon Terry out of Arizona? I feel like he's a guy because of opportunity, right? When Kirk Creaso went out, um, I always tell people I kind of temper my expectations coming into the tournament. I know that that's a lot of people's first opportunity to watch prospects, especially if they if they dive into the NBA kind of heavily. I, I understand that as a former NBA podcaster. I really didn't get a chance to evaluate prospects until, you know, the NCAA tournament because that's when the NCAA or the NBA regular season slows down. But if you watched Arizona at all, you understood that Daylon Terry looked good as a role player for Arizona, and he was kind of a promising prospect for their future. But when Kirk Creasa went down, that opened up a lot of opportunity. And like I said, I always kind of tell people that the tournament is more of a data point. Like, it's not like really a buy or sell for me personally. And everyone has their own opinion when it comes to draft philosophy. And I can respect where a lot of people come from with those differing opinions. But to me, the one thing that kind of helped Daylon Terry is like, okay, we saw it in a small sample. We knew that if he came back for another season, that he's going to get more opportunity. His usage rate was going to go up. Let's see if his efficiency kind of coincides with an increase in, in productivity along with the higher usage rate, right? And what we saw in the Pac-12 tournament and what we started to see in the NCAA tournament is that he could be trusted with a larger role and his efficiency could kind of stay 
you know, lockstep with that. So I think that he kind of upped his uh his draft stock, in my opinion. I have him as a first round grade personally. That's probably not going to be a popular take um, outside of myself. But I think that what we got to see with an opportunity uh, given to him, his production kind of matched that, and he rose to the occasion. A guy who can ball handle, um, you know, as he gets stronger, can probably play three positions. I really love him as a defender. He defends his tail off like he's just a dog on that side of the ball. So. He would probably be the other guy that rose him like that rose up on my draft stock simply because he was given more of a chance. I do think he returns to school. I think that's one of the biggest things about that. Like you, I, I remember you it's mentioned very likely weeks ago. Yeah, I think he's just going to be like, "Hey, this is worth me propelling myself into the lottery next year." So, mm-hmm. all right, are we ready to? We built the wall up. Are you ready to tear it down? Let's do Let's it. A couple of lowers. Any anybody that just like you just you just shook your head at by the end of the tournament. Yeah, so I would say by the end of the tournament, my evaluation of A.J. Griffin, um, keeping it in keeping with this North Carolina theme that we have going on, one thing that when I started scouting him more heavily as the season went on is that his defense really concerns me. Um, you know, he's shown to be a reliable three-point shooter. He, um, even in the Arkansas game, me being a Razorback fan, I'll acknowledge the fact that he did kind of snake the defense a little bit I'll give you that our perimeter defense isn't necessarily where we hang our hat on, but A.J. Griffin did show that he could get to the second level and pull up a little bit from that mid-range game and even get to the bucket a little bit more. So that was nice. But the one thing that when I go back and I watch more and more A.J. Griffin film is that his defense is really concerning. Now, I know that he's coming back off the injury, and when we see players come back from you know lower body injuries, that it usually takes them a little bit longer than a season to get back to their full self. And, you know, prior to coming into this year, the one thing that A.J. Griffin was kind of praised for was his athletic acumen. And I don't know if he's kind of scaled back a little bit because he hasn't reached 100% yet. And I'm sure I don't have to remind you guys that even before this season, we weren't even sure if we were going to see A.J. Griffin. And then he just kind of showed up on opening day and shocked the world. He's given more and more opportunity as the season went on. that, That defense, though, it scares me a little bit. He's a guy that that I was a little bit worried about Jaden Ivy in the tournament. I think that his draft stock took a little bit of a hit as well. I had him as high as two on my board throughout the season. I still think that he can yield like top end returns as a, as a draft pick, but I don't think that the last kind of showing that he gave us is going to leave a good taste on a lot of evaluators mouth. So those would just be the, the two top guys off the top of my head. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially with the Jaden Ivy one, because I had kind of been a bit outspoken going into the tournament. I thought Jaden Ivey was going to give the best performance out of kind of the top draft prospects. I really thought better of Purdue heading into mm-hmm. that tournament. And then his decision-making late game against St. Peter's was just abysmal. I mean, you're not – nothing against St. Peter's, but you're not looking at a lot of NBA talent that he was trying to play yeah. against there. And he was making terrible decisions, um, not very looking very good on offense. I'm curious your thoughts on AJ Griffin, Josh, because you have him in your big board. Spoiler, we're gonna that's our kind of a corny transition to our big boards in just a second, but um you have him in there and I do not. Um mm. for me, really quickly, the, the Griffin thing is he did exactly what we've seen at least one of these guys do on these Duke teams, even back to Jalo Okafor's teams, where there's one guy, and obviously for injury reasons for Griffin, completely understandable, but they almost just play the season at like seventy percent speed, it seems like. At least that's how I saw him this year, where it's like I feel like Griffin never fully just like – he had games, don't get me wrong. He had those games against – I think he had a game against Virginia where he had like 31 where we're like, oh, okay, 
Nice. Um, First one against Carolina, he went crazy. Yeah, that was the other one. So I knew he had at least two. But the point being for him was it just seemed like he – like when you have a team with that much talent, somebody's going to like not excel all the time. And I get it, right? Like that's what you're going to happen. But he just seemed like he played at like 70% speed. We know he's more athletic than that. That's obviously a testament to the injury probably. But I think he's just – for me, I I agree with you on the defensive part of it. I just – I'm waiting if he gets to 100% in the next six months or so. I'm just waiting to see like maybe a crazy workout from him. Maybe obviously it's the last time we're going to see him if he gets drafted until he plays an NBA game. So I'm excited to see him just kind of jump on the scene. I think he can do the same thing he did at the beginning of the college season where he just shows up and he looks pretty good. I think that's the one of the issues you mentioned him kind of looking like he's going at 75%. And it may just be a Duke connection thing, but it reminds me a lot of Cam Reddish. That's late season and. Going in the NBA, there are just a lot of times that you would watch Duke when Reddish was there, and you'd forget he was on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think watching Duke in late term, and I often forgot AJ Griffin was on the court um, because you could see Boncaro, you could see Keels, you could see Williams, you could see Wendell Moore, but I forgot AJ Griffin was out there most of the time. Um, and that was the problem that uh, Reddish has had, and it's kind of transitioned to continue to be a problem for him in the NBA. So I think that's a concerning part. And if I can throw out two more guys who I think kind of did themselves a disservice, uh, Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky, uh, another guy who probably due to injury, we don't know, right? Like just to be upfront and honest, I've kind of been a little bit lower than him, especially uh, compared to some of the other guys at no ceilings. We have some guys that like love, love, love Ty Ty Washington. I'm just, and I see you raising your hand, Trevor. And I understand, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't get why, but just the way that I evaluate the game and kind of like, some of the misses that I've made in evaluating point guard prospects. I don't necessarily buy him like as a, as a lead guard in the NBA, but you know, you could point to that 17 assist game that he had at Kentucky. And I would also tell you that Oscar Shiba was shooting out of his mind that game. Um, that was a, that was like an out of body experience for him. I think that he tried to miss once and the ball just like kind of curved into the hoop, but then another guy who is just kind of throughout the season, but definitely, showed it in the tournament is Kendall Brown out of Baylor, a guy who was getting a lot of top 10 notoriety early on in the draft process due to his incredible athleticism. I tell people all the time that Kendall Brown has to try harder to stay on the ground than he does having to jump in the air. Like that's how athletic he is. So, but the defense is a concern. Like he's a super freak athlete who uh, doesn't have a, a good shot. He has okay ball handling and, and decent passing instincts, but he doesn't shoot well, and he gets back cut all the time. He's still very young, but I also think that kind of getting outshone by a fellow freshman in uh, Jeremy Suhan on his same team also kind of – it like double hits him, if that makes sense, right? Like if you were just evaluating him by himself on a team, I feel like he might actually be higher than if it was just uh, – or than it is right now with him and Sohan actually being on the same team. Yeah, I, the Baylor thing, obviously they... – yeah, it's tough because they all just – I mean, they they were depleted partially, and they just – a lot of their guys had to step up. It was a great game against Carolina right. nonetheless. But um, interesting. We'll talk about Ty Ty, I guess, here in a few minutes. But uh, let's let's transition into our big boards. You've actually touched on a lot of guys on – or a couple of guys on our big boards that we disagreed on. So really, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I sent you the article a couple of days ago. Um, really, the top five, Josh and I were just kind of like – yeah, sure. This is our top five. And then after five, it got weird. So that's, and that's where I think this year is going to be for a lot of people. Sure. Um, 
Doesn't have to be too long, obviously. We want I definitely want to see higher or lower uh, here soon. But uh, any reactions to anybody we might have put on there, left off, anything like that? I well, yeah, I have. We'll do that. One each. How about that? Yeah, I have I have your board and my board. I created my own little document or show oh. notes uh, in preparation for this. So I'm looking at your board alongside mine. And your top four, my top four is pretty pretty lockstep. I don't buy Chet Holmgren as a as a number one guy. And I think and that's not to say that I don't think that he's gonna not gonna be a good NBA player. Like all the things that everybody's probably gonna mention about him. Uh, I, I generally try to stay away from because I don't think that's necessarily like the best basketball conversation that you can get into. But as far as offense goes, I think that he's like a step or two behind, you know, uh, Jabari Smith Jr. and Paolo Boncaro. Um, athletically, I would also say the same thing, but he does give you a, a like an anchor on the defensive end. So I definitely understand that. And then y'all have, I mean, we have the same four, but then when we get into five, uh, I don't see Benedict Matherin on y'all's top 14. Like that's, that's, that's one that confuses me. Uh, but I'm going to be honest. Like it. I'm, I'm a Benedict Matherin, like enthusiast. Like I might be higher on him than a lot of other people. So that's, that's just me being transparent and honest. You know, I like you guys. I want to be honest with you. So, you know, like <laughs> I, I love Benedict Matherin. So I'm curious, like if he's not in your top 14, like what's like approximately the draft range that you guys have him at? Um, so one caveat and I'll let Josh go as well, because I want to be clear. Um, these will change for me drastically in the next month and a half. Um, me I'll too. You, I'll give you an example. <laughs> I'll give you an example. This is a spoiler for Josh too. He hasn't heard this yet. Um, but Jabari will probably be one on my list in a couple of, in about a week or so. I've done a little bit more of a deeper dive on Jabari and just, I, I see so many, I can just see him in 10 years in the NBA. I can just see him at like 19,000 points, 20,000. Like I can just see it. Like he's showing these flashes yeah. and I'm like, He's just too good for his size and shooting ability. I have to be also clear. I have Benedict Matherin at 15. He's literally the last, the next guy out of my list. And Josh, Perfect. I made it and I was like, it was between him and I, I just think Jovic has so much talent. To be clear, Nikola Jovic for everybody yes. listening. Uh, <laughs> it bothers me. So, but to be clear, he it was between those two. I had PBJ at 14. It's one of those things I was like, any of those three guys, like they all are in that range for me where I'm like, I think they all end up at that 13, 14 range. I just sure. don't care at that point right now because we're not as close to it. Josh made the point to the draft lottery. I think it really matters who's at 12, 13, 14 for me. Because once I see those three teams there, I can go, cool, but PBJ might fit a team where he can develop longer at 14 sure. instead of like, I think Matherin can contribute pretty quickly. So, Josh, I'm curious your uh, – yeah, that. so for me, I think post-tournament, Benedict Matherin has probably made his way to my late lottery. Um, I don't have him a lot higher than my late lottery because I am a little worried for uh, kind of more of a small forward than a shooting guard. I think he's a little bit undersized. Um, but I agree that he should be yeah. a shooting guard. I don't like him as a small forward. Yeah. Either. It's just uh, six foot six is fine for a small forward in college, and it works really well. But in the NBA, guys, Arizona. Paul George is kind of like your, or at least I see Paul George as my like prototype. This is what I want my shooting guard to look like, and he's six foot eight. Like it's so it's just kind of a a six six small forward doesn't seem to work as well. Um, he's definitely made his way up as some of the other names that I had in my late lottery or Walker Kessler's, um, your Tari Eason's have kind of fallen a bit post draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm a little worried about size. 
to be clear, we publish these for the listeners and for and the dates on there. But uh, we publish these on the twenty third, so these of March. So we've obviously had a couple weeks to kind of divulge these. I plan on doing a couple of edits here in about a week or so, just to kind of really think about it, really kind of go, okay, term and impact, whatever, right? Sure. Um, anything from Josh's? Because you mentioned uh, neither of us have obviously. Uh, example: a couple of guys Josh has that I don't. AJ Griffin, we already talked about. He has Shaden Sharp at seven. Um, yeah, I have Shaden. I have him at nine. Yeah, um, he did have Benedict Mathurin at eleven. So that's I. I did not. I forgot about that, which is cool. Okay. Um, and then I think the only other difference was Tari Eason, which Josh said is kind of falling for him a little bit. So yeah, um, I I like Tari Eason a lot. You know, I I think that I get why people are a little bit cautious with him, but with like me and my evaluation. LSU is a mess first off like as soon as they fired their coach like the entire team like either declared for the draft or ran away so like to me that's an indication that they were playing in a less than ideal environment right and even still like Tari Eason transferred over from Cincinnati was the man on that team and was like okay like Cincinnati this is a fine conference and the you know I believe they're in the A10 like don't don't kill me if I'm wrong here but you know when when conference is wrong many times don't AAC pretty close yeah AAC, excuse me. Many times we've gotten him wrong. <laughs> all right, so he transfers from the AAC to the SEC, which I think that we can all agree has, like, stepped up in terms of, like, being a very competitive conference in basketball now. That not is. Just, not just football anymore, but especially in basketball. So he leaves the, the, you know, Cincinnati goes to LSU. Wasn't expected to be the man. Actually comes off the bench to pay respects to some of the more senior guys like Darius Days on his team. Transfers to LSU. And is the man on that team, like hands down the man on that team. You know, he he he's a bully on the defensive end. Like he leads the NCAA, I think. Uh, this is an unofficial stat, but I think what what I refer to as mugging still is like someone who's dribbling the basketball and, and he'll just be like, no, give me that. That's mine. You know, and then he'll run down the court and either, you know, pass it to an open man or he'll jump over somebody and dunk it. Right. And. So I think with the the ability to play minutes at the three, four, maybe the five, depending on the matchup, um, be a really good defender, a transition monster, a finisher in the paint, and his three-point shooting actually improved over the season. I'm a big, like, improve over the season uh, scout. So if you can improve on weaknesses in the middle of the year, that shows that you have a give-a-crap factor, which I'm a big fan of. Mm. So the fact that he did that um, in season, I'm a big fan of that, man. So, like, Tari Eason, I have him right now on my board. Uh, 12 or excuse me 13 and I don't feel good about it I want to have him higher but it's just I believe in the potential of some of these guys ahead of him a little bit more but I think that Tori Eason is going to be an easily contributing like NBA prospect from day one yeah I'd love to see a YouTube compilation of what did you call it again mugging steals mugging steals yeah just like give me that that's mine of that like (laughs) all of Tori Eason's mugging steals this year all right um are we ready for higher or lower everyone Let's hit it, man. I'm excited. Um, the, reason, the reason I say ready, because I, I, this is a rapid fire game, so really like off the top of your head, reactionary based. Um, I'm going to do my best. The other reason I say that, <laughs> the other reason I say that is because the other two guys, the first two guys on the list we've already talked about, so you can basically just give us higher or lower if you want. The first Fair one enough. is, I did, we put these on the list and we were like, we've got to do higher or lower later because he'll probably mention some of these guys. And I thought so, I'd be moving it up, but. Just to make myself clear, is it you just want me to say higher or lower? No, you can, you can like, elaborate. You okay, can elaborate. perfect. We've okay. talked about only two of these guys. We're good. We we actually have well three, 
Uh, the first one's Palavancara. <laughs> we were curious uh, because, yeah, you know, he's intriguing. I'm going to cheat. I think that he's like the bar, like he's the, the betting odds favorite, you know, like he's mm. the, when you say like over under and they give you the line, I think that that's what Paolo Boncaro <laughs> is. Like it's really the difficult line. for me to say yeah. higher, higher or lower. I'll say higher because I, I think a lot of I people actually, actually, that's, yeah, that's, that's I think he, I'll say higher. Yeah. Because I think for Josh and I, it, for a while it felt like, and I have him at four, I believe, I believe. Is that right? I don't even know anymore. I, my list is gone. You had him at three. I had him at four. Okay. That's I right. definitely, so I might have him at two now. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, at, for all, up until basically the halfway through ACC play for me, my answer would have been low. Lower, yeah. Like, lower than the general consensus, lower than the whatever. Just, I don't love him. I love him less than Smith and Holmgren. And I still do. So, right now, the answer might still be lower. No, I think that out loud. But, and that's uh, perfectly fair. Like, to me, like, you can argue the top three in any which way. And I won't like, I might disagree, but I also will say I acknowledge what you're saying, and I actually see it. Like, I can't <laughs> knock anybody for thinking differently. Uh, we'll make this one short and sweet. Jaden Ivey. <laughs> uh, lower? I, yeah. That's another one I don't feel good about, but I'll say lower. This is the one I'm super excited about. Josh is probably surprised that it's taken 24 minutes for me to mention him. But every year, <laughs> I'm going to preface this for since your first time with us. Every year, I've been doing higher or lower or ceiling stuff for four years, it's been the thing that I've always enjoyed with the NBA draft. Um, and for people that are curious, you can see my high, my ceiling and floors on, on our article. I have one guy every year that I, I will bat for them no matter what happens. They I can love blow that. Out, they could blow out their knee, and I'd be like, he'll be good in three. We're good. Like, I'll <laughs> whatever. He could go He could go 60th, and I'd be like, that's my guy. No matter who it is, I pick one every year, and that's the guy. This year, it's Mark Williams. Mm. And I'm curious, where are you higher or lower on Mark Williams? I know what you're about to say, and I'm about to be heartbroken. <laughs> I mean, compared to where you guys have him, I'll say lower. But I feel like I the tournament actually is another guy that I neglected to bring up in the tournament that probably did a lot to improve his draft stock. Like, I, I'm sad that I didn't even bring that up. Like, I, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep now because he's probably, like, the guy who improved, like, improved his draft stock enough. And it's crazy because – he didn't really do anything out of the ordinary from what he had been doing all season long. He just like did it consistently against like a wider variety of defenses other than what he was seeing in the ACC. Like teams gave him a whole bunch of different looks. Didn't affect him at all. Um, he actually showed like a little bit of a Dirk Nowitzki, like shoulder, shoulder shake, fade away, jump shot. And that's going to be, there's going to be so many teams that look at that one clip and be like, uh-huh. is there anything more to this? And Given yeah. that he's a 70% free throw shooter and got good touch around the basket, might not be crazy to see him being a, a decent like free throw, maybe extended uh, shooter down the line. But, I mean, you're talking about the ACC Defense Player of the Year, one of the best shot blockers in all the country. A um, little bit of a foul problem. I think that that can get coached away a little bit. But, um, yeah, man, I think that he, I'm probably high. I'm definitely higher on him now than I was. But as far as like the general population, I think a lot of people are like in that same kind of ground with him. But it sounds like compared to where you guys have him, I'm a little bit lower. Josh, where did I mean? Because you didn't have him. I did not have him in my top fourteen. I did Um, nine. I have him sixteen on my board. Some like I've seen it with him. Some I still want to see a bit more from Mark Williams. Um, 
which I think you will because I think he's going to get drafted by Charlotte. But that's another conversation for another. <laughs> that episode. makes way too much sense. It does. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost, it's, it makes so much sense that I'm tired of hearing about it in the media. I said the same thing on <laughs> like multiple podcasts lately. Like I said, I'm exhausted of how much sense it makes for Charlotte. Yeah. Because I want other people in the conversation, you know? Yeah. There's a Assuming Charlotte doesn't pull a uh, out-of-the-blue um, game-changing Rudy Gobert trade in the offseason, but that'll be for another day. Yeah. Ooh, getting weird. As like if he it. doesn't go to Dallas, right? Yeah. To uh, to be clear, for for Stephen, obviously you can read this later, but I'm just going to tell you my floor and ceiling for Mark Williams to show you how serious I am. My floor is Robert. My floor is Robert Williams, which is a really good floor after this year because he might win Defensive Player of the Year. Honestly, yeah. Okay. Good. I think he finishes top three at least. Um, and my ceiling is, and I got to change the wording on this because he reminds me a lot of Tim Duncan, but I that I can't, I can't do that. That just feels weird. So I went with a uh, less exciting Kevin Garnett. <laughs> okay. Because okay. I was like, I, and I fully believe both of those comparisons. Like there are some where I'm like, I feel like I'm stretching a little bit here and there. But like, he's my guy and I will, the, his name will not be, will probably be brought up on every episode between now and the draft. But anyway, I'm glad that you. I love it. I love the confidence in that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's one guy. I Look, it, unwavering everybody else. I, you know, whatever. I have my skepticism. So I don't I, quite I, see the. <laughs> the offensibility of Kevin Garnett, but that's why I've I compared uh I've compared Jabari Smith Jr. more to Kevin Garnett than I think on Mark Williams mm-hmm. because of the defense, the the shoot like if Kevin Garnett grew up when like power forwards could shoot threes and it be acceptable. That's I feel like me. I feel like we Jabari and plus like I went to go scout him live. He's the only player that I went to scout live that's within the top three. And just his pregame, like how determined he was, like the the effort, energy, like the focus. I mean, he's not as like outlandish as, or you know, um, demonstrative as a Kevin Garnett, but his intangibles remind me a lot of like a Giannis or a Kevin Garnett a lot. Um, one that Josh and I were both really excited about uh, was Keegan Murray. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll say lower, but not by much. It looks like you guys have him eighth on your board. Um, I have, I have him 11th on mine, so I'll say lower, but not by much. And when, when we're talking like numerically, I'm lower, but if we're talking about like players in a tier, I would say like, we're right. We're right in lockstep, but there's just, he's not old. And I think a lot of people talk, talk about him. Like he's a fifth year senior coming into the NBA and he's not that like, I think that he could get better. But there's just a few guys who I think are either going to be like top half of the NBA at their position, like a Jalen Duran, or they got like the potential to be like a second or, you know, third best option on a team. And I don't know if Keegan is necessarily going to be that, but I think that he's going to be a longtime NBA player. I think that he's going to get multiple contracts and be like a highly, you know, valuable contributing player on a good team. I really liked the, uh, uh, from that pod that you did the other day, and I'm the name of it's now slipping. Uh, the one with the lottery fits, whatever. I like the Portland thing. Oh, the way with the no ceilings, yeah, yeah. Well, like the Portland thing just makes too much sense for Keegan Murray. Like it's one of those things you're like, oh yeah, that no, that's perfect. Dame can be like, look, I know you're talented, and I want you to stick around. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. I just don't know. I haven't really dove into obviously because we don't have a lottery. So, um, I told Josh a few weeks ago that I said you were one of the people that kept me at least open to the fact that Keegan Murray can be good. Like I was like, I know he's good. Like I see it. It's the NBA part of it. Like I'm like, is he going to be this like Adam Morrison type where he's like so good in college? And they are both. They were both very that good. Mm-hmm. It's like, can he? Can he do it? Like, can he get to the NBA? And be like, I'm here. I'm ready to succeed. 
That was the I like. That really me. I like to say that like for Keegan Murray, I'm a guy that I think that it looks at him a little bit more realistically. But there are a lot of guys that know ceilings that are like perfectly fine with drafting him like fourth, fifth in the draft, depending on the team. And again, the production is there. Like you can't knock the production. And at some point, like you have to value production. And that's where I think draft philosophy comes into it, because just because my philosophy is like, I don't think that he'll have like a better high end outcome than a couple other players. Like I also acknowledge the fact that he has been just as consistent, if not more consistent throughout the season as Paulo Boncaro, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like with that, with, if that's your philosophy, then I respect that. And I'll, and I'll acknowledge that, you know, we talked about him a little bit, but Kendall Brown, Kendall Brown. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to look and see, I don't see him on y'all's on the top 14 that y'all have posted, but yeah, you can go with like higher or lower than how you would probably been before entering the tournament. Oh, then, then entering the tournament, uh, definitely lower. I think that the, his lack of defense, um, how tentative he is on the perimeter, um, just shooting at all, like, it scares him. I feel like he just kind of gets, like, wide-eyed and, like, it slows down a little bit. But there's still talent and potential there. He's still very young. Again, I think raw has to, is a good word. Very, very raw. Just that is a great like, word, Trevor. To kinda, he just needs some time. <laughs> like, give yeah. him some time, basically, is what I think people need to understand. Yeah, you definitely have to give him some time. But if that's the case, then, like, that's where draft philosophy comes into it. Like, how comfortable are you drafting a guy? Like, it's going to be very team-dependent. Like, Memphis could probably afford to, like, draft him and be like, all right, man, like, we're going to put you towards the end of the bench. We'll give you some, like, garbage time scenarios. We'll put you in the G League, things like that. But if it's, like, I don't know, um, Minnesota maybe or, like, a Charlotte, you know, maybe – Maybe waiting isn't the best thing for for what they need at that time, you know. I will give credit. I mean, Charlotte um, gives plenty of guys time in the G League. We uh, took our seventh overall pick and have had him play many more minutes in the G League this season than he has on the normal roster. There, yeah, Book Knight not playing it really baffles me, man. Like I, I have, I have, I still do, still have high hopes for Book Knight to yeah. like, be a really good player. I love his talent. I think he's going to get better. I think his – so I watched a large amount of Charlotte Hornets um, footage from being a big fan. His decision-making isn't very good, and he's still a very volume kind of shooter. And I think that yeah. keeps – especially with um, Lamella Ball and Terry Rozier usually having one on the court at all times, it kind of keeps him out a little bit. Or even both, you know, I, and I like yeah. Rozier. I like him a lot. All right, next guy I got, Marjan Bochamp. <laughs> This is another one that's like I feel like I have him mocked at consensus, but I'll say mm-hmm. higher because I don't feel like people talk about him enough. I like him just because throughout the entire season, like we saw Jane Hardy struggle and then kind of turned it on later in the year. We saw the same thing with Dyson Daniels, who's now like worked his way within my top 10. Uh, Marjan Bochamp has been like the constant on that team. Like he was at the beginning of the season, like leading the team in scoring. He was like giving you a whole bunch of stocks per game, you know, and like steals and blocks. He was like mm-hmm. constantly giving it his all on both ends. Love that. Uh, and he hasn't really changed much. So, you know, looking at him as like a, a kind of high twenties player, I think is roughly where I have, well, I actually I have him at 27. So I don't know. I feel like I'm at par here, but I'll say higher because I do believe that he is better than what he's been um, kind of, mocked at or being discussed about because not a lot of people just care to talk about Marjan Bochamp, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that's why we put him on there because Josh, uh, he answered our mic. One of the questions I had that if it didn't come up and I found a way to ask it was, 
who's the favorite right now out of the four G League guys and the Dyson Daniels top ten thing answered my question. So we are good on there. <laughs> All right, Josh, what's the next <laughs> uh, one? This one has nothing to do with the NCAA tournament, but just how do you feel about Nikola Jovic? Yeah, so we were talking about him on the latest mock draft on Draft Deeper. We had our buddy Maxwell uh, you know, Baumbach on there, and I had we didn't draft him in the first round, but I have him on my big board right now at 18. And it's really weird because what NBA team do you put him on like day one? And and this is really where the exercise comes into play, right? Like I think that if he hits, he could be like a lot, like a close to lottery level talent if he hits, but his skill set at his position just makes it really weird. Like what team takes him and has like a clearly defined role for him. And I think that's, what's confusing because he's like a six, nine, six, 10 forward who you like as kind of like an ancillary playmaker, like a secondary tertiary playmaker. He projects to be a good shooter, but his defense is terrible. Like just, one of the worst in this entire class. Like, I'm, I'm not even using hyperbole. Like, I genuinely feel that way. But he's 18. We've seen some players come in with poor defensive ability uh, and, and come up to be at least, you know, league average at their position. I think, you know, as a forward, league average is asking a lot for him because there's a lot of good, you know, sound defensive forwards in the league. So he's just one of these unique players that, if everything hits right, like he could be very, very dangerous, but I can't think of an NBA team where he has a clearly defined role. And that's what a lot of teams I think are going to be scared of. They're going to look at him and be like, sure, you're 6'10". Sure. You can pass and you can shoot, but at your position, like usually you use a forward to kind of cover up for guards, defensive liabilities, like what team Mm -hmm. in the NBA has the inverse of that, you know? So maybe does he go to like a Utah who doesn't have a first round pick, you know, and, Rudy Gobert is like the ultimate makeup, you know, for that team. He just, you could put lipstick on a pig almost, you know, if you put, <laughs> if you take Rudy Gobert off that team and put the, a league average center, like that's a, that's a lottery level team. Like that's a top 10 team because nobody else on that team defends. So I think if Utah has a first round pick, Nikola Jovic might make sense there, but it's just, or maybe the team that has multiple firsts, like a San Antonio or a Memphis where they can get a little cute and say, let's add a new offensive wrinkle. But is what team is going to say, is it worth the trouble? You know what I mean? To like yeah. put him on the um, court and acknowledge the defense is like that bad. New York. I'm just kidding. No, I <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I mean, New York. but yeah. uh, the reason I say that is because I, my comparison to him was Danilo Gallinari. And I think that's makes everything you just said made me feel better about that because I'm not saying he's ever gotten to league average or, you know, somewhere in the middle there, but he's never yeah. been a, he's never been a blow me away defender. Uh, and I think that's a fun comparison because didn't he did either he played for New York, but did he did he not get drafted by New York? Uh, he did, he did get drafted. I... He got drafted and he was a part of that, you know, Carmelo Anthony trade that sent him to Denver. And then he oh, also right. played for yeah. the Clippers. So and the funny thing about you bringing up Danilo is, is he's always had like a good rim protector. You know, he went from having guys like Marcus Camby, Tysus Chandler, you know, DeAndre Jordan, you know, um, Clint Capella now at Atlanta. So, I mean, that the teams that are and even Joel Embiid and you know, uh, didn't he play in Philadelphia? I thought he played. I, I could be wrong on that one, just, but I, anyway, like I have no by idea. and large, <laughs> by and large, a player like him always has a good rim protector around him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if we're looking at these teams that have good rim protectors, what team needs a forward, you know what I mean? So like 
And there are other forwards that I like a little bit more ahead of him. So it's For it's sure. a really interesting um, dichotomy that he has in, in this draft class. All right, Josh, I want to hear you say this last one. Speaking of rim protectors, let's get on the last one. What do you think of Walker Kessler? I'm not a Kessler guy. I the good. foot speed the the <laughs> foot the, the <laughs> foot speed good. scares me. The oh, perimeter God. switching scares me. Uh, if you're if you're solely a drop coverage big, that limits the amount of schemes that that you're going to be able to fit in, right? Like a lot of NBA teams want switchable guys. You know, there's so if you're only if you only scale to be a drop big, you're cutting the teams that can that are going to be looking to draft you like almost in half. Um, I, I like the fact that he isn't afraid to shoot, although his jump shot reminds me of like a pumpkin launching out of a trebuchet. So it's a, it's, it's a very I interesting, it's a very interesting <laughs> shooting motion. If I had any, if I had any clip we're cutting for social media, that's the one right there. <laughs> that's the one being aggregated right there. Oh, oh okay. that's the I best. appreciate it. That's the best. But, that, that, oh, that was so good. I I saw a tweet today before I came on. Um, for no ceilings, we were like post your like uh, most cancelable draft takes, and someone said that Walker Kessler is just a suburban Hashim to beat, and I was like rolling <laughs> when I I was rolling on the floor when I heard that. I think that he is draftable. I'll say that like if I'm a team like that needs a big in like the middle or late or middle or early second, I would entertain drafting a Walker Kessler because I think that he has value there, but I'm not interested in drafting him in the first round. Just me personally, because I think, you know, you got Chet Holmgren available to you. you got Jalen Duran available to you. you. got Mark Williams. And I like Ishmael Kamagate over Walker Kessler too. So, and then it gets a little dicey. Like I could also be talked into Christian Coloco over Walker Kessler too. So, yeah, I, I don't like him in the first round, to be honest with you. Yeah, whoever said the uh, shame to be comparison, please add us on Twitter. You're coming up next week. <laughs> so I've just cleared the schedule. Like, that's that guy deserves, deserves 40 minutes on the show. Suburban uh, shame to be. Uh, I, that, that wolf. Uh, I had to like me myself. I laughed so hard. All right. Um, let's do this as we're on the way out here. Um, two minute sales elevator pitch us on we by the way to be clear to listeners we have no idea who he's about to say and if you hear frantic typing that is probably from both of us uh, but two minutes elevator pitch us on however you whatever you want to do with the sleeper prospect we have no idea who it is but good luck all right so just to get your typing going early I'll say the name Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU all right so he's the guy that I want you guys to start looking up right now because when you go look him up you're going to see a guy who contributed to one of the best defensive, you know, teams that is always around in college basketball, you know, with the Virginia Commonwealth Rams. Uh, he's a guy who can ball handle. He's a guy who can shoot. He's a guy who can defend. He can run the court. You know, he he's six, six, but plays a power forward in college basketball. So like you can easily see him swapping out um, very scalable, switchable, versatile forward in the NBA. He is a very good three point shooter. Again, he's a guy who you can put on your team and you can trust to, be put in a corner and either shoot if the defense closes out to try to chase him off the line. You trust him as a playmaker because VCU does all the time, and he is a very underrated playmaker on that end. And then defensively, again, he can defend probably, I'll say two through four to be safe because I think the whole one through five is a little bit overused, and I think that you say one through five when you mean actually a little bit lower. One through five is like truly difficult to do. 
But I think, you know, Vince Williams Jr., two through four is safe. Uh, maybe two and a half through four because some of the faster guards might give him troubles. But definitely a, a talented guy on the forward can literally do everything. And one thing I'll say about him is, like, when you talk about guys like, I don't know, um, you know, let's see, Tory Craig or, you know, uh, who's another guy? P.J. Tucker, you know, players of that ilk who are, like, um, Dorian Finney-Smith for the Mavericks, right? Like, guys who... They're not the sexy names. Jay Crowder, another one. They're not the sexy names, but winning teams have those guys who can defend, who can shoot, who can re- just garbage, just garbage, you know, can players who do everything on the court to contribute to winning. I think he's a first round talent. And the one thing that you could come back with me on is like, well, Steven, if you look at Jay Crowder, you know, Tori Craig, you know, all those other, you know, PJ Tucker, none of those guys were clear first round talents. I would say, okay, well, if you go back and redraft, like you probably would take those guys in the first round of their respective draft classes. Right. Yeah, so sure. just fair. because you can get a guy like that later. Sure. I think that that's what a lot of teams kind of bank on, but when you don't get to sign them because there's only one team that gets to sign that player, I think that you're really like, Oh crap. Like we really miss out on him and players like him get traded all the time. So I think that he's going to hold his value in the NBA for a really, really, really long time. Like those aforementioned guys. So Vince Williams Jr. out of ECU. He's a guy who hasn't made it in my first round yet, but I have a hard time keeping him out. He's probably going to be like a late first round player by the time my board is finalized. Mm. All right. I only was not entirely shocked because I saw the tweet the other day. That's the only reason I wasn't entirely (laughs) like, oh, okay. Um, Yeah, I just looked at some He's fresh on my mind. Yeah. Well, and look, they didn't make the tournament this year, so like nobody got to see him on a scale like that. But like, yeah, I mean, you can clearly go look if you just look at his ESPN box score. I did really quickly. You can literally see statistical improvements every. I mean, he used to be a twenty percent three point shooter. I mean, I almost threw up when you said it when I saw that. I'm like, wait a minute, twenty per, and now he's like, what, <laughs> in that thirty eight range average in the last two yep. years, which is insane. Yeah. All right. We always assign, or I always assign a homework. It's always like a fun thing. That's your homework, listeners. Is Vince Williams, Jr. Um, that was really good, really convincing. I am looking forward to the moment he gets drafted at like 28 and immediately both of us are going to text you and be like, what the heck? (laughs) Just to kind of, I'm generally like never this type of dude, but like just to kind of, if if I can ease the mind of listeners into listening to my sleeper guys, I am pretty sure out of everyone that I spoke to on draft Twitter last season that I was the only person and I'm not even using hyperbole. Like I can't think of another person was the only person who mentioned the name Santi Aldama in any sort <laughs> of draft class last year of any sort of draft cast last season. And he was taken in the first, that shocked me. I didn't have him as a first round guy. Like I had him as an early second, but right at the end of the first round, like a team looked at Santi Aldama. I think that Vince Williams Jr. is kind of like that same. Uh, it's like sleeper prospect. Yeah. I hope he does well. I have a lot of his rookie cards. <laughs> Just full selfish transition there. Uh, All right, Josh, anything else uh, before we uh, let him do what we call our shameless plug? No, I don't think I have anything I can add to that. (laughs) It's kind of hard to like top Vince Williams Jr. You're like, all right, dude, I knew you were coming prepared, but that was, that was a a deep dive. I like it. I appreciate Um, it. There's, there's several more I could give you, but yeah, I I mean, Jake LaRavia is another guy to wait for us that I like too. So if you want to back up contingency sleeper, there you go. Uh, we like ACC here, so. All right, uh, we let everybody on the way out. Thirty seconds, uh, just shameless plug. Anything you want, where people can find you, articles, twitters, whatever the case may be. All right. Well, first off, you know, Trevor and Joshua it was an absolute blast, an honor, and a pleasure. 
uh, to be here on, on your show. Uh, it truly genuinely means a lot. I'm going to say the same thing off air. So it's not just counted as lip service because y'all are letting me sign off here. It means a lot that you guys would let me come on your show and, and let me ramble on. So thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Um, but if you want to find me uh, most active on Twitter at Stephen G hoops, that's with a pH. So Stephen with a pH G hoops, um, you can read my work at no ceilings, we have a lot of draft content on there. You can go subscribe and you will get premium like NBA draft content for absolutely free. Like my buddy Corey Tolaba over there says free 99 plus shipping and handling. Um, it will cost you absolutely nothing. All you have to do is enter your email. And anytime that a that an article drops, you will get an email directly to your inbox. I'm what's known as the weekend warrior. So every Sunday you can expect an article from me um, covering prospects, storylines, and, uh, you know, my Warriors of the Week. So that's there. And then for podcast purposes, you can find me anywhere you get your podcast. Um, go look up Draft Deeper. That's where me and my co-host, Nathan Group will talk about exactly what it sounds like, NBA Draft Prospects. And then I would encourage you guys to also subscribe to No Ceilings uh, TV on YouTube, where a lot of our video content is posted. All right. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Josh. Close this out. This has been... Draft chat. You almost said uh, it. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and I'm Trevor. And we will see you next week. <laughs>